0: Take your Bible and join me in Psalm 87 for just the moments we have remaining, a psalm of only seven verses, but a psalm that is just beautiful nonetheless. You know, every nation has a national anthem. They have something that they they sing for their national pride, and we have that as Americans. We stand out of reverence for the Pledge of Allegiance, and we place our hands over our heart when we sing our national anthem. And though I was never there, in the words of Francis Scott Key, I can relive that very moment at Fort McHenry when uh, our our nation saw part of its birth. And we are reminded of the great sacrifice that it took to have our country. The foundation was laid in the blood of those that laid down their lives so that we could have our freedom. Well, as an American, I can relate with that patriotic feeling. But as a believer, I have another anthem. And this anthem I sing is from Psalm 87. John Newton understood this anthem. One of the most familiar hymns he wrote, apart from Amazing Grace, was one that we opened with when we sang. It's taken right from this psalm. He kind of moved the words just a little bit, but you can see his phrase, glorious things of Thee are spoken. If we're not in tune with the psalmist, much of what is said about Psalm eighty-seven reading it remains an enigma. As I was studying for this uh, message, I read an, I read an account. You know, we do scripture readings in our Sunday morning services, and so we'll have someone come and and read. Well, there was another church that was doing a scripture reading, and and uh, the preacher that was going to preach that day uh, was preaching from Psalm eighty-seven, and uh, the the man from the congregation got up, and the preacher said, "You know, I was a little, I was a little not sure of what to expect because uh, he was in the in the West when he was getting ready to preach as an evangelist, and he was going to cover Psalm 87. And the man approached the pulpit, and you know, he had a real burly look to him. The guy described him as almost like a Marlboro man kind of look, and real gruff and and uh, husky. And and he approaches the pulpit and." And he gets ready to do the scripture reading, and I can't remember all that he said word for word, but the essence of what he said was you know, last night uh, I read through this psalm uh, a few times, Psalm 87, and you know, I was doing the scripture reading today. I, I read through it, and it, it didn't make sense then. And it, it, I read through it again this morning before I came, and it still didn't make sense. And by this time, you know, the preacher's going, oh no, <laughs> he's, he's talking about the psalm and, and all the mystery that surrounds it. And then, just, and then the, the reader went on to say, well, I'll just read it and let you determine for yourself. And so he reads through the psalm. So let's do that. Let's read through the psalm and read Psalm 87 together, the seven verses. A psalm or song for the sons of Korah. His foundation is in the holy mountains. The Lord loveth the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are spoken of thee, O city of God, Selah. I will make mention of Rahab and Babylon to them that know me. Behold Philistia and Tyre with Ethiopia. This man was born there. And of Zion it shall be said, this and that man was born in her, and the highest himself shall establish her. The Lord shall count when he writeth up the people that this man was born there, Selah. As well the singers and the, as the players on instruments shall be there. All my springs are in thee. So the man got done reading, He looked at the congregation and said, see, now you figure it out and stepped down. And so the preacher had his hands full because now, you know, there's no pressure, right? He's uh, He's got to deliver. And hopefully I can help you understand the psalm a little bit better than that gentleman that did that scripture reading that morning for that congregation. Psalm 87, the enigma that shrouds it. I think if we'll put on our our uh, Scripture glasses and we'll see some things that are, that are here prophetically. I think this psalm will become near and dear to our heart like it was John Newton when he penned, Glorious things of thee are smoke, are spoken. Zion, city of our God. What is this Zion? Now, I've had the privilege to be able to travel to Zion, earthly Zion. And I've been able to stand in the streets of Jerusalem and walk the streets of Jerusalem And I can share stories with my time there, but I think just to leave it on an earthly level and not realize the spiritual truth that the Lord would have for us would be to to not reach the levels of the deepness of the spiritual truth of this song. Because as I sang, there's a city whose builder and maker is God. Now that song is an artist's rendition of, of his dream that he went to this city called Glory. And he begins to talk about some of the things that are there. And I want to encourage you to think about a Jerusalem that John writes about coming down from the heavens, adorned as a bride coming from her chamber. Here comes the bride. Here comes the beautiful city of God in all of its splendor and all of its glory. And let's look at Psalm 87. The mayor of Jerusalem, at one point in time, his name was Teddy Kollek, and his co-author expressed natural wonder at the surprising greatness of their 4,000-year-old city. Listen to his words. Archaeologists and historians have long wondered why Jerusalem should have been established where it was and why it should have become great. Yeah, I wonder that too. I've been there. There's not much around there. So listen to his explanation. He says, it enjoys none of the physical features which favored the advancement and prosperity of other important cities in the world. It stands at the head of no great river. It overlooks no great harbor. It commands no great highway, no crossroads. It's not close to any abundant sources of water often the major reason for the establishment of a settlement though one main natural spring offered a modest supply it possesses no mineral riches is off the main trade routes it held no strategic key to the conquest of vast areas prized by the ancient warring empires indeed it was blessed Neither with neither special economic nor topographic virtues which might explain why it should have ever become more than a small, anonymous mountain village with a fate any different from that of most contemporary villages which have long since vanished. Jerusalem. Zion. What's so special about Jerusalem? Even the mayor noted all these things that are against its remaining even to this day. And yet, I submit to you that of all the cities of the earth, there's no city more precious than Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Why? What makes it so special? Well, the reason for its greatness, of course, is found right here in this psalm. His foundation is is in the holy mountains. The Lord loveth the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. There's nowhere else that Jacob could have pitched his tent but in Zion that the Lord would have loved more. Beersheba? No. Horeb? No. Nebo? No. Jericho? No. No other place. Jerusalem is where He chose to put His name there. So you want the answer to the question, what makes Jerusalem so great? There's no other explanation except God did it. Is that not amazing? Is that not such a tribute and a testimony to the inspiration of Scripture, this obscure, out-of-the-way little city that, that becomes something because God decided to set His name there? This is the God of God. That we're dealing with. This is the God that that all the other gods. There's no comparison. Psalm 86 taught us about his incomparability. And the fact that God set his name there. Makes this an amazing city. You think about what God has done. Even in our day. Since 1947. A more recent history if you will. On on this city. Jerusalem. Jerusalem. City of our God, Zion, founded by Him. I've got a home in glory land that outshines the sun. We sing that hymn. Do you know that home in glory land? Is heaven your destination? Are you looking for a city whose builder and maker is God? Psalm 87 presents many beautiful facets of this uh, idea of Jerusalem. Now, if you study through your Bible, you'll find the first time Jerusalem really is mentioned is in the book of Genesis. So it goes back to antiquity. We're talking thousands and thousands of years, this this region, this area, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How much is in the news today about Jerusalem? Well, We've had some pretty exciting things in the news recently about Jerusalem. How many of our previous presidents have committed and promised to move the U.S. Embassy to the recognized capital of Israel, Jerusalem? And how many of them accomplished that feat? The current sitting president has done that. And well-meaning presidents before, I'm sure, it's not that they didn't mean what they said or promised, but it just took some, some action to recognize and to actually move the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv and make the ascent to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, it's always been in the news. And uh, old John Phillips said it's the most important city on earth. Do you agree with him? Is there another city on the face of the globe that's more important than Jerusalem? I submit to you there's not. Keep your eyes on the Middle East. What about Washington? There's a lot that goes on in Washington, but is it as prominent, is it as important in prophecy as Jerusalem? No, it's not. Paris, London, you name it. Tokyo, Peking, uh, Moscow, Rome, all across the globe, city after city, capital after capital, and yet Jerusalem is the true world's center. If you were to take a map, for instance, in Bible times, well, contextually, when this psalm was written, if you were to take a world map and chart out the known cities of that day, Babylon, Egypt, maybe north up to Syria, and you go right to the middle of that map and put a pen, guess where you're going to be very close to, if not right on top of? Jerusalem. And so it is the center focus. Even of the world today, where our eyes are all... Fixed on what's going to happen in the Middle East, Jerusalem, the true world's center. And God said of Jerusalem that He had set it in the midst of the nations. Ezekiel five five tells us that it's in the midst of the nations. And so you take that list, you draw a circle on a map with Jerusalem in the middle. You find a radius of about nine hundred miles. It'll take uh, take you just about anywhere in the Middle East. And so within that radius is going to lie Athens, Istanbul, Antioch, Beirut, Damascus, Baghdad, Alexandria, Cairo, Mecca, and Jerusalem right in the middle. The city itself is mentioned by name more than 800 times in the Bible. It stands where no city has any business standing. So it was mentioned by the mayor itself. No river, no strategic highway, roads. Uh, they lead straight into the desert from Israel. The topography is unusual. You ascend up to Jerusalem. You descend from Jerusalem. You know, all these slopy, rocky outcrops divide one area from another. Valleys running and here and there. Not the best terrain to try to get, get by on foot unless you know where you're going. Pitted with rock tombs everywhere and sliced up by valleys on either side all the way around. The most prominent thing that's in Jerusalem today is the site of the temple. And the Temple Institute is there and has done everything necessary to get all things ready for the establishment of their, their Judaic temple that, that will be there. They have everything. The ephods, the candlesticks, all the furniture, the, all of the all of the necessary means to function. The only thing they're waiting for is the ground to do it on. As soon as they get a green light to build a temple and have a holy place, they'll be offering sacrifices again and there'll be much bloodshed, I'm sure, once again because they've missed the Messiah. But all of this will move and work towards prophecy. When Titus demolished Jerusalem, he left standing one segment of a wall to show future generations the power that Rome had. Now, uh, we call that portion of the wall the western wall today. It used to be known as the Wailing Wall, but it's not known by that anymore. It's the Western Wall. That's the proper way to call it in term it uh, because they're not weeping there anymore necessarily as much as praying and looking in faith toward uh, Messiah. But again, they've missed Him because He came in Christ. And so the Western Wall, you can see that. It's huge. You can go approach to it and it runs along the, the city. Now, I personally believe that That was a portion of the uh, fortress of Antiochus that was there. And so it was a Roman fortress. I think they've got some things off in their geography as far as where everything would sit. But, I mean, what we're seeing in that wall is is just the tip of the iceberg. When we went down underneath the city, they're still excavating and unearthing uh, and and digging out uh, portions, large portions, underground of structures that have been buried because you have layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of history that's there. And you go down into the depths and you find they're still digging and still finding things. You know, they've unearthed seals that date back to Hezekiah and and seals that date back to Isaiah and Uzziah and and these Bible times that we read about in the Bible. And all of it is just magnificent. It's amazing and just leaves my mind uh, wondering about, you know, how's this going to fall out in days ahead? They're still, you know, working, digging things out, moving earth underneath and working to try to get to the place where they can have their temple. Jerusalem. The first time it appears in the Bible is after the great battle of the kings, the confederacy where Abraham went and rescued his nephew Lot from being kidnapped. And on the way, uh, after it was all said and done, we meet a character And I think this is an amazing person in the Bible. I wish we could have heard more about him from the writer to the Hebrews. But we have what we have in Scripture. And this man named Melchizedek is the king of righteousness. He's the king of peace. Why? Because he's the king of Salem. And isn't that interesting? What a picture of Jesus Christ we have in Melchizedek. Without father, without mother. There's no genealogy to him. And so this goes all the way back as as old as the Bible is. And as far back as we can think, we have this idea of Jerusalem being the city where the high priest would come who's also the king, the king of righteousness, the king of peace, and Abraham communing with him and having bread and wine with him and giving him tithes of all and worshiping Melchizedek. There's coming a day where there will be a king in Jerusalem, a king of righteousness, and a king of peace, and His name is Jesus. He's the son of David. And he'll fulfill all the promises of the Davidic covenant. He'll fulfill all the promises of the Abrahamic covenant. And he's already fulfilled all the promises of the Mosaic covenant. And all of these things meet together in this new covenant that God makes with mankind through Israel. This new covenant that we can all come by faith through Jesus Christ, the King. Hey, can I call him the King of Jerusalem? The King of Salem, the king of righteousness, the king of peace. No city on earth has suffered more attacks. No city on earth has been sieged more and had more sacks against it than Jerusalem. Devastation after devastation and then revival and revival, city upon city and, and history upon history buried right there on that mount of Jerusalem. Nine of these Sieges and revivals are mentioned in the Bible alone, but, I mean, history records at least 34 instances of Jerusalem being, being sieged. Egyptians, Babylonians, Assyrians, Greek, Parthians, Romans, Arabs, Europeans, they've all fought over this piece of ground. Interesting account of how it came to be. Why? What's so special about Jerusalem. Well, it says in verse 2, the Lord loveth the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. He loves it. He has set His love upon this piece of ground. Why? Because it's a picture of a city to come. Remember, everything in the Old Testament was a pattern. The thing that, the things that Moses was given instruction to build for the tabernacle was a pattern of the things that are in the heavens. And so it helps us understand and learn more about our God the God of the Bible, when we observe some things about Jerusalem. The Lord set His love upon the city, and woe betide those who attack it, one writer said. And in days gone by, more recent history in modern terms, there was a time when a British general, Lord Allenby, he delivered Jerusalem from the wretched rule of the Turks. You remember that history account when the British sent a force of bombers to circle over Jerusalem this was during World War 1 you don't remember it because you weren't there but maybe you've read about it World War 1 and uh, what happened well the Turks decided it's time to leave because they saw all these bombers flying over and they don't have an air force at that time there's nothing they can do so rather than see the city leveled by the bombing that would happen if they didn't leave, they said, well, we'll just leave because we can't compete with that. No air defenses. They didn't wish to see the city because it's sacred to them as Muslim people. It's as sacred to them as it is to Christians and to Jews. You go there and it's this just a amalgamation of world religions colliding. If you've ever seen the IMAX uh, movie uh, down at the, muse, the Denver Museum, they, they have a movie for IMAX called Jerusalem. And uh, the one thing that it leaves out of that, of course, is the evangelistic gospel that we preach, but uh, we won't go there. It talks about the, the intersection of the three major religions, and so basically the by the time you finish watching that movie, you would equate, uh, if you didn't know anything about any of them and you just came with a, a fresh slate in your mind, you would walk away thinking that Christianity is equal with Judaism, is equal with Islam. That's not accurate because... Jesus Christ makes the difference between real Christianity and religious mechanisms and ritualism. A real walk with God. Because you've been born again by faith through His shed blood. But I'll tell you, in their rituals, man, they put us to shame. Their celebrations, lighting those candles and singing in the streets and packing them out shoulder to shoulder, can't even move anywhere, and they're carrying these crosses down the Via Della Rosa. They put our hymn singing to shame. Because they're excited about what they're what they're doing in their worship. I think we should learn some things, don't you? Lift up our voice and sing with Newton and other great hymn writers. Zion, city of our God. How can you sing about it if you've never been there and you don't know anything about Jerusalem? Well, you can sing of a heavenly Jerusalem and you can read your Bible and know that there is a greater city, a builder whose maker is God. And build on a firm foundation as we talked about this morning. So, you know, the story of, of uh, Jerusalem getting back into British hands and then eventually into Israel's hands. They surrendered without fire a single shot. They marched out. They, they left the city in British hands. And December 9th. Hey, what's today's date? December 9th, 1917. Mark it well. Tomorrow would be the anniversary celebration of this. Allenby marched into the city, dismounted from his horse, and he walked on foot through its gates, down its streets, and he did so out of his personal respect for Jerusalem. He dismounted his horse and walked in out of reverence. The city whose streets had been trod by the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets. Oh, Jerusalem. What affection. As the Lord sits outside the city that He he decided to love and put His name there, knowing that they were going to put Him to death right there in Jerusalem. Are you connecting the bigger dots? Melchizedek, Jesus Christ coming, setting His name there. Where was Jesus Christ crucified? Out of all the cities of the earth He could have been killed in. He could have died and he set his face to go to Zion, city of our God. You see, this city, our redemption hinges on this location. Because without Christ and the crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension of our Savior from this city, from this point, we don't have our faith. Allenby was a devout Christian. He knew the Lord loveth the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. So he had no wish to ride a war horse through the gates and pass on that the the Lord Jesus Christ, His Savior, had walked on foot. As we look at the psalm, some simple observations you could make regarding the psalm. Notice first off, Zion, the glorious city of God in verses 1-3. through And secondly, the new life, being born again, if you will, the grand privilege of citizenry there. To be able to underst- understand some of the things about the psalm, we need to understand its place in the book of the Psalter as we continue savoring the Psalter. In many ways, this is a Messianic psalm. In fact, I believe it was Baxter in his explored Book listed this psalm as a Messianic psalm in the list of the categories of psalms he gave. I agree with him. This is a very messianic psalm. It has much to say about the millennium. And if we understand better revelation and some of the prophetic things that are going to happen in Antichrist and the things that connect from the book of Daniel and other prophets of the Bible, we read Psalm 87 in a different light because we start to see things intersect and come together and we see a millennial census that will be taken by the Lord Himself. And so I do take a prophetic approach to this psalm. It looks down the ages to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to reign in power and glory to a time when He'll set up again the throne of David in Jerusalem and He'll reign, as the Bible says, from the river to the ends of the earth. Our Christ will reign there. He'll destroy the armies of the beast at Megiddo. He'll purge the world of the ungodly in the valley of Jehoshaphat right there outside Jerusalem. He'll send a remnant of the nations back to their ravaged lands. He'll renovate the planet, restore it to its Edenic splendor. He'll set up thrones in Jerusalem. What are these thrones in Jerusalem for? The the twelve apostles who will judge the tribes of Israel. The Jewish people, they're going to be His ministers of state, His ambassadors to the nations of the world, the the executors to the throne, if you will. His people will be that. And the twelve apostles and the the church, in essence, will be over them, and then Christ will be over all. And that's laid out for us in the vision of the new Jerusalem in Revelation. It has foundations. It has gates. And they're distinct, one from another. But the apostles are said to be judging the twelve tribes of Israel with the Lord Jesus Christ, ruling and reigning with a rod of iron. And so while Israel will be His representative on the earth, we'll have a part to play there as well as believers. Not confusing the two and making sure we understand we have the right glasses on, as we've mentioned in previous psalms. But then the Lord's going to take a roll call of the nations, as old Phillips put it in his commentary. It'll be written into the millennial records that this man came from Egypt, that one came from Babylon, but those born in the city of Jerusalem, it'll be said as according to this psalm, this and that man was born in her. Hey, where were you born? Did you get to pick that place? I don't know if you did. We need to talk because I didn't get to pick the place where I was born. I was born in some obscure county in the backwoods of Georgia. Not really the backwoods because it's a bustling city now. But where were you born? You didn't get to pick that place. You see, this is part of the sovereignty of God as to where you were born. And for someone in the millennial reign of Jesus Christ to be able to say, I was born in Jerusalem. What a privilege because there's no other city On the earth, going to be like that city when the Lord Jesus Christ rules and reigns there from the throne of David. And so, right after that, you can divide the psalm by the two selahs. There's a selah after verse 3 and a selah after verse 6. And so, you can see the two verses of the song right there. And that's a good place to stop and think, isn't it? And so, by Holy Spirit inspiration, we have the word selah added. Hey, what do you think about that? Just pause for a moment. Think about Zion. And what that means in a millennial reign of Christ. To have your name entered as a citizen by birth of Jerusalem. I am so thankful that I am an American citizen by birth. If I wasn't, I'd be the first one in line to go get naturalized and go through the process to become a citizen of America. And, you know, I could say, well, if I wasn't born there, I got there as fast as I could, like many people say about Colorado. I'm not a native, but I got here as quick as I could. And those who were here before that say, well, why don't you leave as quick as you came? I'm just kidding. I've heard that, too. <laughs> we want to be kind. But uh, but boy, what a place. I mean, there's no other state in our union like Colorado. And I pray for Colorado. I, I pray that God will turn Colorado around in many ways. But God's not finished here in this state. He's not finished in our country. And he's sure not finished with his program for the rest of the world. But one day, Jerusalem will be where Christ sits and reigns. And so a special touch of glory. In an age when glory is as common as the sunlit sky, Philip said. Where were you born? Where were you privileged to be birthed? And so the Lord's going to take the census. He's going to do the count. The Lord shall count when He writeth up the people that this man was born there, Selah. And so as we look at Psalm 87, I hope that you can see there's a very prophetic element to this psalm. It looks ahead to what God has yet to do. And so, there's going to be ranks in God's kingdom. What rank will you have? Well, it'll be determined by how you live your life for Christ down here. There's going to be ranks. (coughs) The Jews, they'll rule the world. Twelve apostles rule the Jews. The church will rule in the heavenlies. Christ will reign supreme. That's how the ranks will fall out. And one of the honored ranks in the kingdom will be to be Jerusalem born. Oh, that city, I was born there. Well, that's talking about physical Jerusalem, but I'm thankful to tell you that the Bible says if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and come by faith to Him, in John chapter 1 and verse number 12, it says, as many as received Him, the Lord Jesus Christ, to them gave He power or authority to be called the sons of God. We sing that song, my name is written there. Is your name written down on those rolls? Are you on the Lord's census? Is your name in the Lamb's book of life? If so, then we read in the revelation where the twelve apostles have their names inscribed on those on those gates and twelve tribes and the foundations. the names are written. And so God has a roll book and he has a census book that he's going to take and to all my springs are in thee all my springs well a spring speaks of a life-giving source and where do we find eternal life but through the death burial and resurrection of the lord jesus christ who died in jerusalem and that hadn't even occurred yet when the psalmist wrote this psalm it's forward looking to what god would do there in that place that he chose to set his name Now, there's some things in the psalm that if we're not careful, we'll get distracted on and spend probably too much time trying to wrestle things uh, about to make them fit where we are trying to theologically make them go. Verse number four is an interesting verse. But if you'll notice, verse number four, there's something that sits right in the middle of the entire thought. Who's Rahab here? That's a good question. When you figure it out, let me know if you can be dogmatic about it. I've read all kinds of ideas. Uh, My personal idea is that we're dealing with geographic locations. So, um, you know, Rahab was in Jericho. So I have no problem seeing this as a location of Jericho and then Babylon, and you're talking about all these other cities. And, but Rahab has also been, you could translate it from the Hebrew as, as some sea creature that uh, the Lord conquered. It also talks about dividing the, the, uh, the sea when he conquered the other gods of the world by the Exodus. Uh, that's been mentioned about Rahab. So what I'm saying is don't let it distract you. The word Rahab is here, but uh, don't get it caught up with the, whole, uh, with the whole incident with the spies of Jericho and all of that because of the Hebrew word uh, simply means pride or proud. And so who was proud against God? Uh, well, the devil was, and Lucifer fell because of his pride. And so Rahab, uh, I'll make mention of Rahab and Babylon to them that know me. Behold Philistia and Tyre with Ethiopia, And note this phrase, this man was born there, verse number five, and of Zion it shall be said, this and that man was born in her. Do you see the phrase, was born in her? And then look at verse number six, the Lord shall count when he writeth up the people that this man was born there. So a key to the structure of the psalm is noting the words born there, uh, was there as, as the psalm unfolds. He says, the Lord loveth the gates of Zion. Glorious things are spoken of what? Of thee. Note the words of thee in verse 3. And then notice the words in verse number 7 at the very end. All my springs are in thee. If you can understand those as the bookends to the psalm, You'll be on a good direction to see the structure of how the song unfolds. But the center focus of it all is where are you born? You have a physical birth, but Jesus says, Except a man be born again, he shall not see the kingdom of God. And so, have you been born again? Do you know your birth? Do you know your father? If you've never been born again, then Jesus told those who would die in their sins that they, would, they were of their father, the devil. And God forbid that anyone that we love or know should have to die in their sins and pay for their sins for all eternity. How much rather should we not do everything we can to help them understand the aspect of being born again? This man was born there, verse number 4. That's the very center of the whole song. Where? Where were you born? Notice this glorious city of God. There's a firm foundation in verse number 1. God has set His steadfast love on her in verse number 2. And there's a resounding praise that goes out through the ends of the earth for this city in verse number 3. And then we get to consider not only Zion, but life through being born and having the privilege of citizenry. Ephesians chapter uh, 2 talks about our citizenry. And the book of Ephesians really talks about our inheritance in the saints. And so we have a citizenry. We have a citizenship that, you know, I have a dual citizenship. I don't know about you, but as a believer, you know, I'm a citizen of the United States of America. This is where I live on this earth. But I have another citizenship and my passport's the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. And I'm going to a city whose builder and is God. I'm just a pilgrim passing through. This world's not my home. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond beyond the blue. And so I have another citizenship that I'm on the roll call there. And we see that, that roll call being given by the Lord. Verse number four, you have this list of all these surrounding nations. At one point in time, these are all enemies. Whether you look at Rahab as being a sea creature or Jericho, Jericho was an enemy to God's people. And the walls came tumbling down. The sea creature that was destroyed, if you want to look at it that way from ancient literature, sure, fine. Well, the sea creatures no more. And that speaks to the glory of God because He's greater. And all of these will one day be brought. You read through that list, Which nations? which nations are still functioning today? There's at least one on that list. But the Bible talks about the day when Christ will come, all the nations of the earth will be united under Him once He purges in judgment and the tribulation is over all the nations and the gentiles particularly is what this is a reference to that the gentile nations of the world will be under christ and every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that jesus christ is lord to the glory of god the father so there's a manifold there's a diverse citizenry if you will of this heaven you know, the blood is the the ground is level at the at the foot of the cross, through the blood of Jesus Christ, we can all be born again and we can have our name written in the Lamb's book of life and we can be a citizen of that country, a greater country. And it's a manifold, a diverse citizenry. Verse number four, there's a millennial census that's taken in verses five and six. Zion, it shall be said, oh yeah, we talk about where people were born and things even in our day. But how more important would it be in the day of the psalmist when he's writing it? Oh, where were you born? Where From whence dost thou hail? That's how they used to say it in the Middle Ages, right? From whence dost thou hail? We don't talk like that anymore. We just say, hey, where are you from? <laughs> hey, where are you from? And that's a great thing to talk about, isn't it? I'm, I'm not ashamed of where I came from. I'm not ashamed of where I was born. Because God chose that I would be there. And He chose the family that I would be part of. And the birth was was uh, of Him. You know, the whole reason I'm here is because uh, God gave conception and life came through Him. And now, not only do I have physical life, but as I said, I've been born again through Jesus Christ. Notice this is the, the praise. The It shall be said. That's future tense. There's a prophetic future. This and that man was born in her and the highest himself shall establish her. Who's going to do this? God will. God will do it. Who's going to take the census? The Lord shall count. We read about censuses in the Bible, and, and uh, we're coming up on 2020. We're about to go through another census time here in our country. And uh, you read about the book of Numbers. That's basically a census of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. David took a few counts. One of them was sin because uh, the, his, his adversary stood up against him and provoked him and tempted him to number and to go forth in his own strength rather than trust God. And But here the Lord is going to count. And I guarantee you, he knows every hair on our head. He'll not miss a single name. He'll take a perfect census, unlike the one that's about to roll out here in 2020. I'll let that sleeping dog lie. Too late, I woke him up. When he writeth up the people that this man was born there. Hey, just stop and think about that. Think about the millennial reign of Christ. As well as the singers and the players on instruments shall be there. I love my King James Bible, amen? It says singers, and it says players. I know David danced danced through the streets when they brought the ark into Jerusalem. That's one of the key moments in Jerusalem's history, by the way. Without David, we wouldn't have God's name being on Jerusalem, would we? See, it all works according to the sovereignty of God. But my Bible says singers and players. If you want to interpret that as dancing, I don't know if I'll go along with you on that too much, but singers. Can I just summarize it this way? Whether you're singing or playing or, yeah, uh, a Hebrew person. I mean, you go to Jerusalem now, you see them dancing in the streets. We saw them dancing to the bar mitzvah that we you know, we watched. And they got a little snippet of a video, and they just get excited about that, and they make a big deal of it. And so dancing is not the connotation that we think of as dancing today that you know, I would agree with old Billy Sunday on. We need some more strong preaching against that kind of dancing, amen? Because that dancing's of the world. That dancing is is, uh, is nothing but lust of the flesh and lust of the eyes and pride of life. But when you're celebrating and you can't help but but just be emotionally moved by what God's done for you, then you're in a state of celebration. And that's what we're seeing here. And all the world will celebrate under the reign of Jesus Christ because sin will be done with and He'll rule with a rod of iron. All my springs are in Thee. Handfuls on purpose, Old Smith uh, pointed out some verses about the the spiritual life that's here. He says the springs, the spring of spiritual life, the spring of spiritual power, spring of spiritual life, he quoted Ephesians 2.1, and you which were dead in trespasses and sins hath he quickened, and we have the spring of life through Jesus Christ, the spring of spiritual power. Ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria unto the uttermost part of the earth, the power of the Holy Ghost. Where does that come from? It begins with Christ at Jerusalem. The spring of spiritual nourishment. Luke 4.4 talks about the Word of God, the spiritual nourishment that comes from there. The spring of eternal enjoyment. Eternal enjoyment. Romans 5.11 talks about all the enjoyment we're going to have spiritually through the Lord Jesus Christ. The spring of spiritual expectation. What is your blessed hope? What do you hang all, all of your faith on? It ought to be on the Word of God, the spring of spiritual expectation. 1 John 3.2 Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. Boy, what a privilege to be loved by the Father as we've been loved. There's a millennial census in verse number 6, verses 5 and 6, but the psalm closes with a messianic celebration. And I invite you to celebrate with me the fact that Jesus Christ is coming again And through His work, we can say, Glorious things of Thee are spoken. Zion, city of our God, He whose word cannot be broken, formed Thee for His own abode. Where does the Lord abide? He abides where He sets His name. Where has He chosen to set His name? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Oh, what a name. City of peace. We're not there yet, are we? But one day the King of Peace and the King of Righteousness will come. And if your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you can rejoice and celebrate with us that one day all the earth will know His peace. Not as the world gives, but the peace which pervades and lasts. Zion, the glorious city of God, you understand the great privilege that you have to say that you have your citizenry there whether it's as a Gentile grafted in by belief through Abraham, receiving all the spiritual blessings that way, or whether it was by the sovereignty of God because you were born a Jewish person, you still come by faith through Jesus Christ and recognize that He is the Messiah. He is the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world.